Welcome to the Reunion Church Podcast. We're a community following Jesus, seeking the good of our city. We hope today's teaching is both challenging and encouraging. If we could be a resource to you on your spiritual journey, don't hesitate to reach out via our website at reunionnyc.com. All right, happy Easter. Uh, Today is the day that we celebrate Um, that Jesus has risen from the dead, and he is very much alive, and I can't think of a better thing to do on a day like this than to say, uh, we want to see the next generation do that, and so it's just absolutely an honor, um, even, you know, with our son, um, to be able to be a part of that, and um, I love um, that this is the environment that I get to raise my children in, um, letting them see other people journey with Jesus and, and take their faith seriously, and so Um, Thank you so much um, for being here. If you're new or you're visiting, uh, a warm welcome to you. We meet in a dance studio, and sometimes that means Bad Bunny is in the background. And you know what? We don't do a lot about it, you know? Um, And so um, over time, we hone in, and uh, we'll be able to do that today. So really grateful uh, that you're here. If we can be a resource on your spiritual journey, if you have questions, um, please ask today. Come talk to us after. Um, please receive prayer at the end. That would mean uh, the world um, to us. So um, I'm going to read our passage today. Um, and uh, if you've been around here, uh, we've been journeying through the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to finish today. And it's been like a year and a half journey, so this means a lot uh, to us. Um, so let me read our passage today. And at the end of it, um, I say this is the word of the Lord, and you can respond by saying, thanks be to God. So here's Mark chapter 16. Verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, "Who who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. And so, Father, I just pray right now for uh, the next few minutes as we um, come to examine your word, um, that there wouldn't just be ideas in our heads, but there would actually be a burning in our heart to understand, God. By your spirit, I just pray um, that this time thinking about you, talking about you, um, would enchant us again that we wouldn't just um, take this text and pick it apart with our head, but that our hearts would come alive to understand and to know. And God, wherever we are this morning, wherever we find ourselves, I pray that we would find ourselves in this story that you're telling, the story of life and death and resurrection that you're telling through your son, Jesus. And so God, I pray this morning, what we have not, would you give us? What we are not, would you make us? And what we know not, would you teach us? In your son's name we pray. Amen. I want to begin with this um, quote from this writer, Philip Yancey, um, and he says this. In many respects, 
I find an unresurrected Jesus easier to accept. Easter makes him dangerous. Because of Easter, I have to listen to his extravagant claims and can no longer pick and choose from his sayings. Moreover, Easter means he must be on the loose out there somewhere. Easter makes Jesus dangerous. I have to listen to what Jesus says. And here's what we're set to deal with this morning. What are the implications of the resurrection? Um, so often we come to the, the spiritual life or we, we come to church and we do have questions. And the questions maybe filter through like this. Do I like it, right? Does it, does it sound good to me? Or you leave and you say, did I find today's scripture or music or teaching, did I find it compelling? Do the truths stir within me? Or you leave here and you say, is it useful? Like, can I use that in my day-to-day -to, -day to figure out how to live life? Is it helpful in my day-to-day? And all of these, I believe, are really important and valid questions, but I don't think they can be our starting point for today, Easter Sunday 2023. I think the question we need to begin with is this. Do we really believe that Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead? Jesus, the first century itinerant Jewish rabbi, did he really resurrect? This is the question that we're set to deal with, and once we sort of answer the question, we can tease out the implication you know, there's a, there's a lot of, of writing in the New Testament about resurrection. Um, Paul in 1 Corinthians, it's just a really quick verse. Uh, the, the whole chapter deals with the resurrection, chapter 15. But he just says this, and it struck me this week. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And so it's like, okay, if, 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 if Jesus really didn't resurrect, we should all go to brunch, like now. Like, we should be done, because brunch sounds great, you know? But what does he go on to say? He says, your faith is useless. No dead will ever be raised. You're still in your sins. All who have trusted in Christ are lost. We should be pitied. We should go to brunch, right? Some brioche, French toast, something like that, all right? Do we really believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Then and only then can we deal with the implications. And this is what the gospel writers are actually trying to do. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each of them trying to give a perspective uh, on the resurrection in, in the end of each of their Gospels. <coughs> Excuse me. And so what I found so fascinating, because we were like, let's hone in on Mark, let's stay in Mark. I read the passage, and I'm like, what do you do with this? This is the strangest ending to any of the Gospels. It says the women came to the tomb, and they were bewildered and terrified. And then the Gospel just sort of ends. And you're like, well, what about the resurrection appearance, appearances like in the other books? And, you know... What happens as you read this, and we'll, we'll kind of walk through it a little bit more today, when you read it, it's almost as if we're invited with the women to the tomb. We're walking up with them, and it says that the women leave, but it's almost like you and I, the reader, are left there to deal with, do you really believe that this man in time and space really resurrected? Will you choose to believe without seeing? And for some of you today, maybe, maybe you're thinking, oh, really, man, like, cute kids, good music, I can get behind all that, but resurrection, like that's what you have for us today, like rising from the dead, that's the thing we get today, that's what you, you bring us as a way of um, a life of, of meaning and purpose, resurrection, and perhaps you bring that sort of um, skepticism or, or doubt to the text today, and I want to show you today that you are in good company, 
You are in good company if you have skepticism and doubt, because this is shared. Um, and, and I don't just mean here at, at, at our church, but in this text. Let's start with verse 1 here. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they may go to anoint Jesus' body. What are they doing? They're coming to the tomb in the early, in the early hours. It's, it's Sunday morning, and they're bringing with them these spices to embalm the body of Jesus. Why do you embalm a body? Because it's decomposing because it's dead, right? It's, it, Jesus is dead. That, that's, that's why they're coming. They're not coming to witness a resurrection. They're not uh, coming to be a part of the resurrection story. They're coming to honor Jesus and prepare his body because Jesus is dead. They didn't understand, right? You look at this passage, and what we actually need to begin with is the fact that Jesus failed, right? That's what it looks like. It was a noble attempt. He didn't get enough followers. It was a noble attempt, but the, he couldn't get the religious leaders to actually believe in his day that he was the Messiah, the anointed one, the one to come, right? He couldn't win over Rome and make peace. He failed, right? He couldn't even train his closest disciples to be courageous enough in the moment to stick with him but rather they all abandon him. Why? Because he failed. That's the context of Easter is death, right? This is what, what all of his disciples come and, and, and say. The context of Easter is death. I'm, I'm coming to honor this one, this teacher who did amazing things. And what are they coming to the tomb with? They're coming to the tomb with doubt about the resurrection. You and I are in good company, right? What does the text say over and over? They were alarmed. They were afraid, trembling and bewildered. The women went out and fled the tomb. They're not coming for resurrection. That's not what they're coming for. And so what we do is we mirror this posture, actually, and it's, it's, it's acceptable. We approach resurrection with doubt and fear. That, that's, how, that's how we come. We approach the resurrection with doubt and fear. And guess what? This morning, if that's you, you are in good company. Um, I, I mentioned before that we're uh, finishing uh, Mark's gospel. I've been, been in this for over a year and a half. And over and over again, I've been taken by how brilliant the gospel writer is. Not a lot of details, just gives us a, a just enough. But one of the things I've been really taken with is, is Mark's gospel in, in particular gives, a, gives us a lot of emotion. And it's almost written as a way as um, you and I are invited into the story right? You and I are drawn into the drama, sort of absorbed up into the story. It's sort of like you're at a play and the, the stage curtains have been stripped away and the audience and the actors are sort of found as one. Um, my wife and I, Katie, we went to a movie on, uh, on Thursday night and uh, we were both, we left the movie theater and we just said, we were both just engrossed in the movie. Like it was like it, we were in it. We were in the movie the whole time. And the three women, they come and approach this, this, um, this resurrected Jesus, and what do they bring with them? They bring the doubt and the fear, and I think that we actually come up into the story of Jesus similarly. We come with our lives, and we're, we're telling a story, and as we, we talk about the resurrection today, it's, it's that the story of the gospel is that there's the life of Jesus, and the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus, and actually what you and I are doing when we're reading the story is we're joining in on the story. Right? We're having a relationship with it, with our mind and, and, and with our heart. And the reality is in the Gospels is what's actually um, being asked of you is, is Jesus is sort of asking a question when you read the Gospels. He's saying, come and join the story I'm telling. 
Come in and tell the story that I'm authoring. It's a grand story, and I actually want to write you in. I want to bring you into the plot of the story. You can get in on the action, right? I want to write you in as a character. What does he keep saying? Follow me, follow me, follow me. And I, if, if I could just be candid with us this morning, some of us aren't really compelled by this story. We're not, we're not enchanted by this story because if we're honest, some of us have actually grabbed the pen and we said, you know what, you're authoring a story. It's not, that's not the story I want. I'm already writing a story. My story is more comfortable. My story is more palatable. And so God, you know what, I'm actually writing you out of the story, right? The invitation of Jesus in the middle of the book of Mark is this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me in the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone exchange for their soul? And this is the invitation to a, a radical life of discipleship, the radical way of, of self-denial. The cross is this paradox of finding your life through giving it away. You find your life through sacrifice. You find your life through forgiveness and putting others first. And this is the story that Jesus is telling through his life and through his death and ultimately through his resurrection. And I'm just going to be honest. I think we lost the plot. I think we lost the plot. It's not even that the plot has been lost, but maybe we would say that the plot has been replaced in our modern society. And I just want to kind of submit two ideas here to you this morning about plot replacements. Right, this story, this grand story that we've been invited into, we've exchanged it, right? We trade the self for God. And I, I'll go first here. I'll speak for myself here. What do I know of myself? I'm bent to think of myself first. I'm bent to think of myself before God and others, right? This is no surprise. Sociologists have actually coined a term um, for our time and, and our individualism. It's that expressive individual, individualism, right? In our modern society, how do you become a whole person? You become a whole person in our society by expressing yourself authentically, right? Fulfilling yourself apart from the world, friendships, whatever it is. I become a whole self by, by presenting my most authentic self. Um, here's some um, a lyrics. Um, I will leave you to guess here. When the sharpest words want to cut me down, I'm going to send a flood. I'm going to drown them out. I am brave, I am bruised, I am who I'm meant to be, this is me. Look out, because here I come, and I'm marching on to the beat I drum. I'm not scared to be seen, I make no apologies, this is me. Who is it? Who is it? The greatest showman, right? This is, I love Hugh Jackman, like had to, had to put this in here, right? We can, we can applaud part of this, right? We can say, authenticity, like off the charts, right? This is, this is who I am. I'm strong. I'm beautiful. I'm, I'm me. What's, what's the overall message, right? You become a whole person or a self by unapologetically being yourself. It's different from cultures in the past where you actually gained or garnered an identity from the community around you, right? Let's do another one here. To be loved and love at the highest count means to lose all the things I can't live without. Let it be known that I will choose to lose. It's a sacrifice, but I can't live a lie. Let it be known, let it be known that I tried. Adele, that's right. Look at this. You know, you know, a little participation today. Um, this album is both brutal and uh, beautiful to listen to. She's um, writing about um, going through a divorce. And I mean, it really is just 
heart-wrenching. I can't listen to it without crying. You're just joining in on this process of, of someone trying to find themselves. And I'm, I don't, there's no judgment in that. I just, I want us to see um, how it brings to life our modern culture. One more, because it's just fun. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is the best one. This is my favorite one. So uh, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Anybody? Oh, yeah, this is let it go. It's time to see what I can do. And I'm, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. <laughs> no right, no wrong, no rules for me. The self is, I, I had to go frozen. You know, like, what are you, what are you really going to do here? I, I have kids, so. I'm found and free, right? The self is fully realized. Our true identity is found from what? Breaking free from constraints and restrictions. This is the cultural waters in which we swim. And, and, and I, know, I know we're in a room full of go-getters, right? I know, I know you got your, your, your vision boards. I know you got your journals and your calendar is full. You got ideas for work and career and family and life and all of it. And none of it is wrong. But one of the things that we need to actually understand is that in the process, many of us have traded the self for God. And actually, um, what we'd approach the resurrection and say is, I, I don't need God. I'm, I, I got it. I, I, got the, I got life figured out, right? I don't, I don't need God. I don't need to pray. I, I traded that a long time ago. Here's why I think this is, this is dangerous. And just, um, if you just give me your ear for a second. What happens, because this is just true of life, what happens when your vision and your plan for life doesn't work out? What happens when it doesn't come to fruition? It crushes you, right? It crushes you. The modern self is so demanding. And when we trade the self for God, if things don't go as we planned, you know what comes our way? A lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, a lot of failure where we say, you know what? I, I just, I tried so hard, but this life is so hard. It's crushing me. And the reality is, for some of us, this is not all of us, circumstances are, are very real in this life, but for some of us, the, the weight of the world is crushing us because actually we're, we're, we're our own God, and we're not saying, God, would you help me? Would you be my end-all, be-all? But we're actually trying to find an identity apart from God, and God gives us over to that when we seek that. So we've traded the self for God. Here's the other thing that we trade, and I'll be quick here. We trade the temporal for the transcendent. What do you know coming here this morning? You are a meaning-making creature, right? Um, Pastor Brandon always says this, that we're meaning-making. That's what we're doing in worship, is that we're making and creating meaning, that our hearts burn for more. We want more depth, and we want more character, and we want more integrity, and we want richer relationships. We want more, but somewhere along the way, the truth is, is we settle, right? We, we settle for the little indulgences. We settle for the numbing, and we settle for the, the hiding. It's sort of like when it's four o'clock and you're hungry and you know you have a wonderful dinner ahead, right? Like you got chicken parm coming on the table, right? But it's four o'clock and you're so hungry, what are you gonna do? It's like granola bar in the desk is like all I got, you know? We trade the temporal granola bar for the transcendent chicken parm, all right? We are the generation that cannot stand in line, right, without our phones distracting ourselves, getting that little hit of dopamine. It's one of the things that I, I'm, I'm very serious about this. I try to do this. I stand in line and I resist my phone. And it's like, whew, it's hard, you know, like going with through withdrawals over here, you know. You stand in line and I say, 
I'm going to resist the temptation to be distracted right now for, for another hit, but actually I'm just going to leave this space to just be and be present. How much of your life is lived in distracted, in distraction? I think for some of us, we need to hear this a little louder. In fact, the, the, the numbing and the hiding we do are, are actually very serious. There are ways of coping that are unhealthy, and, and they could become the end of us. And we need to become really honest about that. It may just seem a benign after a while, but the addiction, the numbing, the hiding, over time, it really gets to us, and it really eats away at our soul. I like how, um, and it, let, me, let me actually just say this there. I don't want you to hear that as judgment. That, that's, that's, that's not judgment on, on, on my part, but rather a voice of hope saying to you, don't settle for quick highs. Don't settle for temporal fixes, but there's a voice that's calling you to a richer and to a fuller life, and you can live into that reality. I like how this pastor, Mark Sarah, says it. He says, in the absence of a story or foundation that gives hope or meaning, life has become a never-ending quest for pleasure and experience. Instead of being good, people want to feel good. That's that trading, the temporal for the transcendent. What is the invitation of Jesus the invitation of Jesus, particularly in that Mark 8 passage, is put me and others before yourself. Don't settle for numbing and hiding, but actually join the story that I'm telling through my life and my death and my resurrection. Deny yourself. Follow me. Join my story. And maybe, maybe what you're thinking in your head this morning is, well, Russell, what does that really have to do with the resurrection? Well, the resurrection is telling a story. It's telling a story that you and I are in, inviting, uh, invited into, and actually what Jesus is doing in the resurrection is he's actually describing himself as the ultimate answer to life's ultimate question. And what he's actually doing is he's freeing us from the need to be our own God, right? We, we, that we, we try to take the reins in that, and, and Jesus is saying, no, 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 actually, you, you, you do have a problem, right? There is a problem, but I'm also going to show you the problem, and I'm going to give you the antidote all at once. You and I have a problem. We're separated from God by sin and death. It's, it's inherited from generations, but it's also chosen by us, right? We, we inherit sin and death. Good news today, I guess. I don't know. Um, but we also choose it. It's our human condition, and understanding this helps us understand the world in which we live in is, is very broken, and we need a framework for why, what's wrong with the world. Why is it so broken? And Jesus comes, and he says, here's what I'm going to do through my, my perfect life, through my perfect death and through my perfect resurrection, I'm going to join you back to God. I'm going to tell a really, really good story. What do I want you to do? I want you to approach me with doubt and skepticism, sure, but approach me honest so that you can choose to join my story. And so we approach the resurrection with doubt and fear. Let's keep going in this story. There's so much good stuff here. Verse 6, but when they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And so the story is supernatural, right? Like, let's just, let's just, let's just say that and, and be, be, accept it. And yet the Bible is also so realistic in its emotion and patterns. And I don't know why I kept thinking about this this week, but I kept thinking about Saturday. Friday, Jesus is crucified. He dies. It's the worst day of his life. It's the worst day of the disciples' life. 
Sunday, he resurrects. And then I'm like, Saturday. Why not just resurrect on Saturday, right? We don't, we don't need to wait, right? But it's so realistic. We know Saturday. Saturday is our life in so many ways. We live in Sunday. This is the good news of today, and we'll get there. But sometimes it feels like Saturday. Saturday is the day the dream died. Saturday is the day you, you, you wake up and you say, I've got to go on, but I don't know how to go on. It's the day where the evils of the world look as though they've, they've won, right? Friday, real suffering came your way. Saturday is the day that you have to sit in it and deal with it, right? Saturday is basically the news, right? It's just reporting on things that have happened that are bad. Um, so Saturday is the news, right? It doesn't feel like there's much comfort or consoling. It's not really a lot to say. And in, and in a room like this, with this amount of people, there's been some real Saturdays. Death touches every single one of us in, in, in some way. And in, in reality, Holy Week as a whole should bring us through a full range of emotions. Dealing with death and suffering and the pain of this life. Um, if, we, if we take that into consideration, we should be prompted and say, God, where are you? And, and that's an appropriate thing to ask. Right? And I'd love to, I'd love to just solve that really quickly and you know, give you some comfort in that. Why do bad things happen to good people in our world? And I think there are some good answers to that. But the reality is, is that resurrection arises through death. Resurrection arises through death, right? Spring comes after a cold and harsh winter. Resurrection is actually built into the seasons of our world. But also resurrection means Jesus beat death. Right? It's where the, the crucified one becomes the worshipped one. And, and that pronouncement, I love that. He is not here, he is risen. In a real way, resurrection reframes death and suffering. Right? We, we live in the reality of death and suffering, but we actually long for something more and something greater. And resurrection actually means that the worst thing is never the last thing. Death doesn't get the last word. Sin doesn't get the last word. Cancer doesn't get the last word. School shootings don't get the last word. Depression and anxiety don't get the last word. And resurrection is actually the answer for God's um, question or our question of the problem of pain. And so in the end, resurrection. In the end, resurrection. I believe love triumphs over hatred in the end. Peace triumphs over violence and chaos. Forgiveness triumphs over bitterness but I'm far too realistic of a person. Death feels like it's winning at times, and that's real. But the real reason is that resurrection comes through death. And if you're here this morning and you wrestle with that, I would say you're in really good company. But also, you've got to get a framework for suffering and evil in this world. You've got to get something that solves the problem of suffering and evil in the world. And, and to me, Christianity solves the problem greater than any, which is, why, why is that? No, what other God joins in? What other God says that, that um, I'm going to send myself to suffer? I mean, that's a real answer to the problem of pain in, in, in a big way. And so resurrection arises through death. Here's the last set of verses here. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Go and tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him, just as he told you. So the tomb is empty. Where's Jesus? Where, where, where's Jesus? And the last thing I want to point out to you here this morning 
is that the resurrected Jesus is going after the disciples. And this just blew my mind when I was reading this this week. Where are the disciples? They're hiding, right? They're hiding out of fear. Before uh, Jesus is crucified, we, we learn about Peter. Peter denies Jesus, abandons him, uh, walks away, and he hides. And honest, honestly, I read, I read the story this week. I'm like, Peter's kind of smart. You know, like, that guy's getting crucified. I've been following him. I'm probably going to be heading in the, right, the same direction soon. And so he hides. And then what is Jesus doing in verse 7? He's going ahead of you into Galilee. Galilee was the, the origins of their movement. It was the place where um, Jesus said, follow me, and their hearts began to burn, right? And they said, I, I, I got to be a part of this. I got to go do this. And it's almost as if the angel's like, he's not here. He's risen. Go tell the disciples, Jesus is coming after them. Jesus is coming to them. God sometimes feels so elusive. My spiritual journey is, is, uh, is one where I say all the time, God, where are you? How do, how do I find you? How do I figure you out? I got to find God. I got to figure God out, right? Uh, our daughter Rose has really been um, into Sesame Street lately, um, and it's her grandparents and TV, so it's not my fault. Um, but uh, about a month ago, she got on this kick where she said, I I want to give Big Bird a letter. And so here's a picture of her. <laughs> that is a letter to Big Bird. And um, so she goes into her room, and she has like this little Google in there, and she says, hey, Google, um, what's the address to Sesame Street? She's like, I'm going to find uh, Big Bird. And of course, uh, uh, Google and uh, Sesame Street are in cahoots, and the answer is, the address is 123 Sesame Street. And then she's smart enough to say, how do I get there? And Google also has an answer, and the answer is take a left, take a right, take a left, and take a right, and you're there. So I, I, don't, I think that leaves you where you are, but, you know, whatever. And so this Saturday rolls around, and my, my wife is just so brilliant. She's like, you know what, Russell, let, let, let's just go for it. Let's just, like, let's roll with her idea. Let's go find Big Bird. And so we set out on a journey a few Saturdays ago to, to find the elusive Big Bird. And so um, we Google, um, they renamed 63rd Street on the west side, Sesame Street. So we went there first. Obviously, Big Bird wasn't there. Um, we went to a random apartment. She's not in here, so it's fine. We went to a random apartment on 70th Street on the west side. Katie and her buzzed in. Um, Big Bird wasn't there, and there was like a piece of paper on the door. And so she said, yeah, Rose, it, it says Big Bird is out to lunch. And she was like, let's check some, um, let's check some restaurants in the neighborhood. <laughs> And so we decided that Big Bird is a vegan to slim down the options in the neighborhood. <laughs> no Big Bird. Uh, we searched Central Park. Uh, no Big Bird. And then, of course, we took the easy way out. We went to Times Square um, looking for Big Bird. We did not find Big Bird, um, but we did find um, Big Bird's friend Elmo. And <laughs> um, she was able to give Elmo the, uh, the card there. And at some point, we will... Um, find um, Big Bird. But apparently, Big Bird doesn't want to be found. And if I'm honest, I'm building a bridge here. Uh, this is sometimes how I perceive God. This is sometimes how, how, how I perceive God. How do I find God? How do I figure God out? How do I get, get it right? And I wonder if this passage at, in the end is actually teaching us something really, really important about God. What if our premise is wrong, right? What if we ask the question, how do I find God? How do I get this thing 
right? How do I bridge over to God? How do I get on the right path? And in this line of thinking, it almost feels like God is always just right out of our reach, right? Like, I, ah, I, I just missed it. And we make it sound like we're the ones looking for God, and God has been hiding like Big Bird, right? But what if it's flipped around? He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. I don't think we're the ones looking for God. I think actually God has been the one looking for us, and we've been hiding. And, and, and isn't that the story, right? I was, I was reading Genesis this week, um, and it was so fascinating to me. I don't know how, how we missed this, but God, the, the, the Bible opens up with a story, and it says that the people are in perfect peace, shalom, wholeness with God in the garden. And then they eat this forbidden fruit, and, and they eat it, and what happens is, is that they realize that they're naked. Before they were naked and they felt no shame, now they're naked, but they feel shame. What do they do? They hide, right? And what does God do? God goes after them in their hiding, right on the opening pages of the Bible. How do we miss this, right? We act like we're the ones looking for God, and he's hiding, but that's not it. God is looking for us, and many of us are hiding. We're actually the ones that are lost. We're the ones that are trying to cover up our shame. And so here's what I think ultimately the resurrection means. Resurrection happened, a historical event, and so I believe that resurrection happens in the here and in the now. God is coming after the disciples in the New Testament, and I believe that God is at work in the present, coming after you in the here and in the now, calling you to himself and saying, join the story I'm telling. Follow me. And you can know this in the here and in the now today. Not just a historical event. Yes, absolutely. I think that's so important. Bodily resurrection. Yes, true. And resurrection life for you and I in the here and the now. Here's how Peter says it. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. What's the message of Easter? He's not here, and he is risen. He's gone ahead of you to find you, and you don't have to hide anymore. And here's the last question. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Not do you want to believe it, but do you choose to say, you know what, that's the story I want to live without, I live within. And you know, you may say, I, I'm approaching it with, with skepticism, with doubt, with fear. You may say, you know what, I often trade the self for God. All, all of it can be true, and guess what? God could still be coming after you today, right? And he can find you. We have to say, God, I'm done hiding. I'm done living in the shame. I don't want to numb anymore. Do you believe this? This is the end of Mark's gospel, but it's actually the beginning of our story. Let's pray. <coughs> wow, God, you are so good. <clears throat> I just, I'm just blown away by the story that you're telling through your son, Jesus. There is, there is so much goodness in what we're hearing today. We're hearing that we don't have to fight and earn and work our way into your love, but that we are already deeply loved. And for some of us in the room today, actually, um, our hearts are, are burning, and, and, and we're actually saying, I want to respond to what, um, what you're saying. I want to believe, I want to believe again that there is good news in your son, Jesus. And so, God, I pray right now that we would be responding, that we would just um, be people that say yes to that. 
for the first time or, or for the hundredth time, that we're saying, I believe in that story. It's good news, and I want to live inside that story. And so, Father, um, I pray that today would be a day of life, a day where we put, put the past behind us, that we let the deaths of our life um, come, and we say, we want to embrace a resurrection life that you have for me. And, Father, as we come to the table this morning, as we um, come to take this bread and as we come to take this cup, may it just um, be that tangible reminder um, that you love us, that you died for us, and that you resurrected for us. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.